Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Judy Weider and VP Research Director Martin Gill to discuss our customer experience predictions for 2024. Welcome both. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. So uh, 2024, plenty of opportunity for CX leaders. We are actually predicting that CX quality is going to go up for the first time in a couple of years. But you've also have generative AI as a really strong input to some of the opportunities. Uh, but of course, it's not without risk. And with all the things going on in the economies globally, uh, you're, you're feeling like CX absolutely has to get connected to financial results. So let's dive in. What are the predictions for 2024? But let's start with the good stuff first. Maybe, Judy, you can start off. So definitely a piece of good news. We predict that in 2024, we will see global customer experience quality rise for the first time in three years. And it will be lovely, a lovely sight to see, um, assuming that 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 comes to pass. And so when we think about why would we feel bullish after a couple years of declines? Honestly, Gen AI is a key piece of this. So if we look at what's driving customer experience and we think about our CX index as one of the ways to, to understand this, one of the top drivers across every single industry, across every single country that we look into, customer service. And what's going to help us with customer service? Gen AI. That's one of the best ways to use it. And we see companies already starting to do that. So if they're helping their agents deliver better customer experiences in the moment that they have to do effectively recovery, because that's a lot of what customer service ends up being, then isn't it great that we see Gen AI actually helping move forward the number one driver for so many industries or number two for a lot of others? It's it's going to be the thing that finally moves things forward. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden everybody's going to get like some massive boost. But what it does mean is that the folks that are spending their effort and their money on developing the right solutions for those customer service issues will be able to see that that score go up as a result of having created better experiences. So how this plays out right now, we expect that it's going to be better in uh, Europe and APAC. U.S. will probably go up more so than Canada. So let's talk about that. Martin, what are the nuances between the United States, uh, just North America in general, and what's what may be going on in, in uh, Europe? Well, in Europe, we've... We didn't see as much of a decline over the last few years as I think you've seen in the US in terms of our CX index results. We saw what we call a stagnation for the last two years. And obviously it varies by country. France and Spain saw a big decline and are seeing a strong recovery right now. So we predict that's going to continue. The UK has remained fairly steady. We're seeing an increasing gap in the UK between challenger brands like like the challenger banks, First Direct, Monzo, Starling, etc. They're increasingly putting more and more distance between themselves and the competition. So I think what we see is this kind of, maybe it's complacency, maybe it's the need to be all things to all people for big, more more, more kind of global brands, more brands that serve all a wider customer base, whereas brands that specialize, like the challenger banks, for instance, that have a much more niche customer, maybe serving millennials, maybe serving customers with much more defined financial needs, they're able to create more differentiation. 
So I think to go back to Judy's point, if you're leaning into that kind of space, generative AI, that kind of technology can really start to make a difference in those experiences. So for uh, CX quality to go up, obviously, you know, we have the CX index and we look at the drivers. We've mentioned Gen AI a couple of times. How can Gen AI affect what drivers that will make this change? So there's there's AI and then there's Gen AI. We think about AI, which I, I haven't mentioned yet, but I think I need to. The folks that are running, say, CX or Voice of the Customer programs or who are really digging into insights, using AI to uncover what's actually behind the customer experience in issues that they're seeing and help them identify the things that they need to fix faster and with more clarity, that's already happening. And I suspect that we'll probably see more of that continuing to happen as it gets incorporated into more and more tools. Then the Gen AI piece is not necessarily as much on the customer facing. That's coming, but certainly on that behind the scenes. And so that's why I was talking about customer service finding ways to augment the experience that, say, a contact center agent would be having right now to give them information just in time and also source it. So I've, I've seen a couple of examples of this as I've been going around and looking at some of the cool things that consulting firms are doing right now. They're finding ways to serve up information to a contact center agent in the moment that they're answering a question for a particular customer, but sourcing it to the original location, say knowledge base article, where that thing came from, so that not only can that agent see, okay, this is exactly what I need to tell this person, but also here's where it came from, and start to build their own personal understanding and connection with that material. So it's just gonna make customer service better. And because customer service is the number one driver category for many industries, or number two for the rest, it stands to reason that your customer experience index will reflect the fact that your customer experience is better because your customer service is working out better. And Gen AI is going to be one of those things that's feeding all that information across this massive corpus of, of information and knowledge that you have within an organization. So that's, that's probably like the number one use case that we're already seeing emerging and that we expect that most folks are going to be doubling down on. But Judy, you kind of alluded to this before. It's not just going to be that use case, though. Gen AI won't stay behind the scenes forever, right? We we will have consumers interacting with a Gen AI tool, potentially, and them not knowing it or enjoying that experience, or that may be impacting the customer experience as well. That, that will absolutely happen. And I mean, to a certain extent, we're already seeing it happening now. If you want to, say, uh, book a trip through Expedia, they're touting the fact that they have their own GPT that you can use to help you identify that perfect location for your next vacation. So there's already customer-facing applications happening. But the question is, are those customer-facing applications touching the things that need to be fixed the most, that are the most impactful for what we would consider the the customer's experience right now, right? The reason that customer service is so important is because it's where you go when everything else has failed you along the way. So we have to focus on customer service first because we need to fix the thing that's the key driver, the biggest driver. And if you're fixing your number one, your number two driver, 
of your customer experience score, your your measurement that you're using, you're probably going to see overall that you're you're raising the the tide on everything else. And that driver word is really critical. So our data shows that more than a third of CX leaders can't map the operational drivers of CX to their customers' perceptions of the experience they're delivering. So there's a, there's a gap there, an analytical gap between what are you delivering and does it actually make a quality difference to what you deliver for your customers? So before you even start by thinking, hey, we can throw a generative AI at XYZ, you've got to understand that model and you've got to understand what actually drives experience quality for your industry. Probably customer service, but probably a bunch of other things as well. So this is all what's behind the call that you've made that basically half of global firms will experiment with Gen uh, AI, uh, particularly customer facing. But there's also some risks. What are some of the things in 2024 that you worry about with so many firms jumping into this? I mean, privacy stands out. I can't do a podcast without talking about privacy because my team is particularly being European. We have a lot of laws cover that. But you know, it, it is a huge risk. We've, we have other reports looking at the risks in terms of like bias against segments, about transparency, et cetera. But privacy, particularly if you're trading under GDPR covered or California data protection laws, there are, there are three critical places where we can introduce privacy risks. In the data model itself, so you know, ask your vendors, how is your model being trained? In the information you're feeding into it, what are you training it on? Don't, don't put personal identified information into that thing, customer information, employee information, but also in the output of the model. So there is a potential that Gen AI can create content based on what you fed it that would breach people's privacy information. For instance, if you're training it on internal employee data to present profiles of employees out on the internet to say, hey, Judy, he, she's an analyst at Forrester. She has all of these skills. And suddenly Gen AI works out a whole bunch of personal information about Judy because it's sitting in a HR database back on Workday or wherever we keep it. There's risks there. So we absolutely have to have a human in the loop. We have to be aware of how we're feeding it. Yeah. There's also the risk of what we've termed coherent nonsense. You also hear it as hallucination or bias where the, the gen AI may just not create something that's real. I mean, we, we see cases of um, attorneys presenting legal precedent that never existed, um, folks giving book reports or, or asking um, authors about material that they never wrote. And it, it's a real challenge. Is it using real information or is it not? And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm so pleased with the examples of Gen AI that refer back to a source. Tell me where you got that information from and, and really validate that that's accurate. And then, you know, the way to think about how you get around this is by testing out this stuff internally before you turn it externally. Develop the chops and the skill set to understand how you can do this in a way that is safe, that manages privacy, that is... Um, is confirming that you're using real information and you're presenting real information. And if you can do that internally, then you can start to take that, that skill and turn it towards the external facing uses. But if you try to do that too soon, then you're probably going to end up running the risks that, that Martin and I have been talking about. So we also predict that more than half of global firms will report CX metrics. Um, as if we're not reporting enough these days. Uh, but you guys are also making the call that, you know, CX leaders are not going to connect 
those particular metrics to financials all that well. Talk about that. Well, that's hard. First of all, so let's let's not kind of let's not <laughs> let's not dumb these people down and That's say a baseline. Oh, you guys you guys suck because you're not reporting metrics. It's really difficult, but we're saying about five percent. Well, we stand by that because I think in the clients I talk to, it's about five percent. We did a we did a event last year in London for our predictions last year, and we asked the room. We had about thirty people in the room. How many of you can actually literally tell us one one point of NPS equals X dollars, X pounds on the bottom line? One person puts their hand up. It's not, not many firms can do it. So there's a baseline. It's hard. Yeah, it's, it's super hard. Um, when we look at the annual reports and the, the shareholder documents that get released and, and we see NPS or CSAT or other customer related metrics getting reported, we see more of that happening, which is great, but we don't see a corresponding rise in, and this is what it's helping us do financially, to Martin's point. Or if it's posted, it's it's described in such vague language as to make it clear that from it, it doesn't pass the scratch test. So if an executive were to say, oh, this sounds great. So our customer experience metrics are going up. So then how much more money are we making as a result? Or how many more clients are we retaining? Or, or something like that. If they were to scratch the surface of it, you can already hear the CX leader getting really nervous about not being able to explain it. And so that's a really big problem because at some point, shareholders are going to go from saying, yes, we expect that you're going to be talking about CX to we expect that you're going to be explaining the value of this thing because if if you're asking us for more money to be able to improve it, you have to be able to justify it. And that's, that's a threshold that CX leaders need to cross. They need to get comfortable with doing the math. Frankly, if you can't do the math, go make friends with your CFO. Come at them spreadsheet first and say, I'm trying to do this and I'm having trouble with it. Can you please help me? And whenever you come to a CFO and you say, I'm trying to, to put something in financial terms, more often than not, they're going to say, yes, I have somebody who can help you with that because that's what they're looking for too. So it's, this is a problem that is absolutely solvable. It's not easy, but it's solvable. And right now, there are just not enough firms that we expect that are going to be solving it in the new year. I go back to where we started from in this conversation as well, which is the, the driver word and the causality or the correlation about, yeah, MPS went up, great. But what are you actually measuring? Are you measuring a relationship? Are you measuring touch point? Are you measuring journey? That we have a, we have a whole measurement framework that and which has nine boxes in it and whenever we show clients the nine box model they generally scratch their head and say yeah we can fill in about three of those boxes so be really conscious about you know if, if you're reporting on MPS where is it in the relationship is it relationship is it about a journey is it about a certain product is it about the overall brand and then when you know that I think Judy's absolutely right work with your financial teams to work out what does a one point improvement in MPS give on this product for this customer segment, rather than just reporting a number and saying, hey, it's gone up. Fantastic. Seems to me like this would be pretty difficult to, to tie to the financials. Yeah. And what, what, we're, what we're hoping and what we're leaning into with MPS is there's, there's a causal relationship between, the, or at least a, a probable relationship between the fact that someone's willing to recommend your brand and they're going to spend more money with you. But we need to go a bit deeper and work out how much more money are they going to advocate for you are they, are they going to retain are you going to retain them as a customer i think increasingly we're seeing 
equations, calculations, whatever, like customer lifetime value being much more valuable in this context because they're, they're things, they're the language the financial team speaks and you can actually make future predictions off the back of them. Yeah. And I think that the big deal for me, and this is a conversation I've had with a lot of CX leaders, is that when we talk about CX metrics, we focus on the what, we need to focus on the why. It doesn't matter if you have an NPS of, or a CSAT or whatever, of 76 versus 36, if you don't know why you have that. And so the whenever anyone tells me that they're using, um, say, the NPS system, I say, that's great. What are you seeing as your key drivers? What are you getting from those verbatims? Because if all you're doing is focusing on the number, you don't have enough information to triangulate to what is making that number what it is. And you may be focusing on the wrong things. You have to dig in there and, and figure out what's actually causing the number to be where it is and for different parts of your book of business. And then identify where do you need to place your bets based upon what's going to move all of your numbers in the right direction, and then ultimately be able to tie those numbers, those CX metrics, to the financial metrics. Because otherwise, CX is doing something just for CX's sake, which is not helpful. It needs to be CX for the organization's sake, tied to business goals, tied to business objectives, and tied to business strategy. Yeah, and be wary of benchmarks as well. You've got an MPS of seven, they've got an MPS of eight, so what? That, that that it might 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 matter, but probably doesn't matter. What matters is what Judy's saying. What's your business model? What's your makeup? What are the drivers that apply to your business? Focus on that, not a beauty parade of how you compare to everybody else. So, are there any brands that are doing this right, or any that will do it right in twenty twenty four? Ooh, the metrics thing is a real challenge. Um, we've seen that some folks like, say, United Health Group, they've been reporting NPS for years. And so they're, they have been able to prove the connection. They don't publish it, but they've been able to prove the connection. There, there are some of the firms that we've seen doing it. Um, Apple talks about these things together as well, where it, but you have to dig for it. It's not immediately evident. I believe theirs was like buried in their sustainability report. So it's... I wish I could point to one or two exemplars and say, these are the people who are absolutely doing it perfectly. Nobody's doing it perfectly. I think they're sort of setting this cautious model out there. And what I want to see is somebody being bold in the new year. Show that you can do it because there's real value in not so much the first mover advantage on this, but being able to show that you understand your customers, that you understand what's driving your customer experience, that customer experience is an accelerant of business growth. And if you do that, you're automatically out ahead of everybody else. You'll have everyone scrambling to try and figure out the math. So 2024, for all of our predictions, had a strong artificial intelligence input. Uh, we talked about the economies globally are just challenging, geopolitics, um, there's a lot of elections, not just in the U.S., but around the world that are going to happen. CX uh, or customer experience overall might not seem like the thing to focus on in 2024, uh, but maybe it is. Are, is there anything that was left on the cutting room floor that, you know, that, that either of you um, think may come out of nowhere in 2024? So yes, one of the things that got left on the cutting room floor has to do with the CX leader themselves. And there were a couple different angles on this, but ultimately 
what it comes down to is that we have seen in our State of CX Teams data for 2023, which will be published shortly, that the remit of the CX function is expanding, which is great, but the CX team size is not expanding commensurate with that increase in remit. And so what that means is that these CX leaders are getting stretched very, very thin. They're effectively victims of their own success. And so they're drowning in work, but they may also be getting pulled into things that they don't necessarily need to be on. And so the effectiveness of their team is getting diluted, which then comes back to, you know, are you working on the right things? And, you know, this one just didn't make it into the report mostly because we always think about how we can quantify it. And this one was a little bit trickier to quantify, but I know Martin, you have some very strong feelings about working on the right things. Well, yeah, and I'm going to go back to the same driver's comment, really, that all all of this comes back to A, understanding what's causal in your organization and B, making it actionable. One of the biggest challenges, well, the challenge we put down last year for CXMEA when we we stood on the main stage, when I stood on the main stage, was do you want to be the measurement team or do you want to be the transformation team? There's a ton of teams out there that kind of can report NPS, can report sentiment, can report voice of the customer, can tell you what people are thinking, can't tell you what to do about it. If you can take that step, and I think everything we've talked about throughout this podcast, it's all been about getting to doing things, steering your business to do the things that make a difference to the customer experience. So if you, for me, if you can occupy that space and you can prioritize what's going to make a difference, where should we prioritize our action, what's going to give us the biggest bang for our buck, and it's measurable, we can show the ROI, we can show it's going to have impact. That's the space I think people need to be in because that's inhabiting that space. Last year, we made a prediction that I can't remember what we said, but X number of teams can't show the value of CX and we'll go out of business. They'll just get fired. Now, if you can't prove your value to the business, you're going to get fired. So for me, get into that space of being the drivers of change rather than the reporters of how dissatisfied your customers are. Is this year going to be meaningfully different though? Is this not every year? It's many yes years. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, the, the meaningful difference I think we're seeing now is without trying to blow hype into the Gen AI world, there is something really crazily different going on. That that technology is is, is either going to be a big bang and bust and disappear or is more likely going to change a lot of people's jobs, a lot of people's work, a lot of how we interact with customers, and it's going to become real very fast. And I think that will that will challenge teams to think differently. It'll challenge teams to go faster and it'll challenge teams to make the right decisions at a pace we haven't seen in the past. Well, very interesting. And that's probably a podcast in itself, the transformation. I mean, we just had a forecast come out that we haven't quite published yet about more than half of financial services and insurance. Uh, Literally, the jobs being transformed are going away, half of them by 2030. So I have to think that CX is going to be a huge uh, portion of the jobs are going to be impacted there for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the middle of doing interviews for a very large stream of research around where CX should sit within an organization. And some of the early findings that we're already seeing is that the folks that have been doing this for a while don't see their role as, I just manage measurement. They see it as, I'm transforming the business. I'm transforming the culture of this business and how the business functions. And that's that's where the real power is. And that's how you get staying power, either within a particular organization or within that, that career path 
of, you know, the serial CX leader who goes and builds CX somewhere and sets it up right and then goes on, pollinates the next one and keeps moving around. Um, so I, I think it has to be about transformation, like Martin's talking about. And that's that's where things get different, that at some point we're going to have to get to that point. CX will eventually even out to be a more almost normalized function, the way that sales and marketing and operations and those sorts of things have just become the the default setting for any firm. CX will be part of that, but it's how the organization internalizes the concept of is customer experience a thing that needs to be separate because otherwise we're not thinking about it? Or is it going to be fully integrated into how we operate and we're going to be customer obsessed and it's going to show up everywhere, leadership, strategy, operations, all of it. So it some of it's the personality of the organization, some of it is did you set it up right to begin with? But it's a, it's a role that has great potential for transformation of the entire enterprise. And remember, we're still a new profession. 15 years old, max. Most of the professionals in the, in the CX business have been in their jobs less than 10 years globally. And, and we're, we're even less mature in Europe when we look at the tenure of people in roles and the tenure of teams. So this is still, you know, think about like 10 years into the start of digital, the start of e-commerce. We were, I mean, I was there for the start of e-commerce and we were just finding our feet 10 years into it. So maybe that's your one extra call that 2024 is going to be the year for CX transformation. Uh, I don't know that I go that far. I'd say I was. <laughs> no, no, we're going to rewrite the predictions. Say, nope, nope, <laughs> not going there. What I would say is I think 2024 is a great opportunity for a year of transition, that we are making better progress towards that transformation. I, I mean, I shouldn't have to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. The pandemic threw everybody for a loop and it was a terrible situation. And it also presented this, this catalyst for change. Every organization has been impacted by it. And so the organization, the firms that are looking at how they can move forward into whatever this new future is and are thinking about their customer experience can use this as a way to spur change. And that's that's where we're gonna see real transformation. But that's gonna happen in some organizations, not others. And I'll leave a few things in the report that I don't talk about, but we definitely have one about what happens when you keep dragging people back into old traditions rather than moving forward into the future. So the transformation potential is there, but I don't suspect that that's really gonna happen in 24. I think that'll be farther. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks, guys. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.